The Last Word with Matt Cooper. I'm delighted that we're joined for the Culture Club today by Dahi O'Shea, who has been host since 2010 of the Rosa Tralee, one of Ireland's favourite cultural events. Dahi, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to be here, Matt. It is one of Ireland's leading cultural events. There's some people are snobbish towards yeah. it, but you love it because even before you were the presenter, you were very involved in it. And I think you really feel that it does tell an awful lot about Kerry in Ireland. It, it certainly does. I suppose I got involved with the Kerry Rose selection first, uh, probably 20 years ago now. So I'm, I, I still uh, go to Kerry to host that because I think there's something endearing about it. There's something that sometimes you have to give back to a community that is giving a lot, who has given a lot to you as well. So, and it's something I believe in. Like I remember going to the Rose of Tralee when I was. Uh, uh, in primary school and it was always we went to Tralee to get a pair of pants and a pair of shoes right and a jumper for the new school year for the new school year right and we got to go to the Hurdy Gordies in Tralee as well so we'd often see the roses going around Tralee so that would be my one of my earliest memories and also getting the Kerryman newspaper and with all the roses there and we always picked one or two while watching the TV show we always shouted for the Kerry Rose because she was local we always shouted for the Chicago Rose because my parents were married there for 10 years in the 60s my eldest brother and sister were born there my, my other brother was made there but came out here so we always had a huge kind of grow for Chicago as well and now when I married a New Jersey Rose I kind of have to take that side with me as well Sorry you said your brother was made there and yeah. came out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my parents came home in 1969 so, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, can you imagine what it would have been like for you though if they'd stayed in Chicago? Yeah, you'd have peace in the afternoon on RT, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was a thing. My, my mother never wanted to come home, and my father did. And the majority of my mother and father's brothers and sisters all went to Chicago. I, I'd have more uh, first cousins and second and third cousins in Chicago than I would in, in Proshtamore in West Kerry and in Castle Island, just outside Castle Island, where my mom is from, because they all went there bare one, two, or three on either side. Okay, so your older siblings have American citizenship, whereas we, we, you we don't. all have. No, oh, we all have. Well? Yeah, yeah, we all have because we uh, actually, funnily enough, my grandfather, uh, my father's father, went to America uh, around 1920. So that could tell you why one of the reasons why he might have left Ireland that time in 21. So he became a citizen over there, and uh, he claimed my father, and then my mother went with from her side then as well. My mother, her mother was in Chicago as well. Her mother. Knew my father's father in Chicago. Geez, separately. You're starting to confuse anyway, me now. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're all American citizens, and we were American citizens uh, from day one. And have you ever lived and worked over there? Uh, no, we went over in '94 after doing the leaving cert the first time, and the plan was kind of to stay there because my brother Danny was living there at the time. And uh, no, so I lived there for a few months at a time, but that, but that's it really. All right. Okay. I'll get back to some yeah. more of those stories of your past as we go through your culture club selections. And what music is a major part of yeah. your life, isn't it? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Explain a little bit about the cultural thing with music, traditional Irish music in the West of Kerry and your involvement yeah. in that. Well, like, like to be honest, like, so we grew up with uh, music in the house first of all because my father played the accordion. And uh, so he uh, he drove a truck during the day, and then at night, then he played music. So during the summer, uh, West Kerry being a, a, a an important hub for tours, it was compared to what it is now. It's totally different, of course. But my father would have played music a few nights a week there. So there was always music in the house. But not alone that, there was always music all around the place. It was in school with us, and if you went into the the local pubs as well, say as uh, say seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, there was always music there. Everyone could dance a set, and if you were if they were stuck for a set, you were pulled in. 
as a 17 and 18 year old. So by the time you were 20, you know how to dance a set. And it was just good fun as well. And everybody was seemed to be having a good time. There was no one looking into their phones. Everybody was talking to each other. So the music was uh, always a huge part of it. But then, like, say, when, you know, it's like when your father plays trad music, like you want to go the other direction altogether. Oh, hang on, didn't you sing as well? I sang for a while, Matt. I did, but I, I suppose I didn't sing really until I was maybe around 18 or 19. And uh, That's very late to come to it, isn't it? It was really, yeah. Yeah, it was. And I was singing songs in Irish as well at the time. And it's something that, like, I really didn't appreciate trad music really until I was in my late teens, early 20s. It's again, like, there's music at home, there's music all around you. And I'll kind of go the other direction. So I'd have went towards Guns and Roses. Oh, we're going to get to that, believe me, yeah. But see, what, what I saw then, see, then you had Coney and Begley, right? Seamus Begley and Steve Cooney came together with this, with this album called Mel in 94, 93, I think, right? And... Them, to me, they were like West Kerry's Guns N' Roses because they were just fully charged. It was all, there was no none of this kind of slow music or anything, but it was all really hard-hitting polkas and slides. And I suppose in one sense, that's what kind of brought me back into uh, trad music and began to sing that time as well. Are you a good singer? I, I, I wasn't a bad singer before, but Matt, I, like, I haven't sang a song in around 10 years. Uh, I, I, I realised that some, I, just, I just couldn't do it all. Like, like I sang, I sang with, I used to sing with Seamus Begley a lot and another man called Lawrence Courtney. We, we, we sang as the three fivers. We weren't the three tellers. We were, <laughs> we were demoted. So, but, but we, we sang under that for a while. Like we sang with the Chieftains on an album called Water from the Well that was actually nominated for a Grammy, which was a cool thing. But like I'd only one verse in one song. It's enough. I was still there. It's one of my claims to, claims to fame. And then we, we, we used to sing a good bit after that. But like, then, like I was, I'm, I'm on you TV. You must have been a good singer. So. I, I wasn't bad. I won't lie to you. I, I, I wouldn't. Like, Carry a man being modest. <laughs> just like Morris Fitzgerald or David Clifford, one oh, bad well. footballers, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, but like, so like, I, I enjoyed it at the time. But like, when you're on TV all the time, you say, like, you're performing all the time. But then when you go to the pub then, you go for a few points and then you're asked to sing again and you, I, I felt like I was performing all the time and then I felt like I had nothing at all inside in the tank and I was just empty and then like it was a kind of a realisation uh, maybe around 10 or 12 years ago like do you know what lad you just can't do it all and I was kind of paid off with myself about that because when you're kind of late 20s early 30s you think you can do it all and this was the first time that I said you know what lad you just can't do it all because you don't have enough energy then or to spark or the spark you need to go on TV every day, particularly with the Today Show. Like, we do 160 shows a year, two and a quarter hours. You need to be full on for that. And that is, that takes up a lot of your energy. And I just realised that I couldn't go to the pub and sing. I just didn't have it in me. Okay. First single yeah. that you remember buying? Uh, it was uh, The Voyage by Christy Moore. And I suppose... We all remember, I don't know, you, you might know what they're called, Joe, those small little discs. It was on vinyl as well. And the other side then was the Brendan Voyage as well, which which was all about West Kerry and Dingle as well. And Brendan, so I, was, I, I really liked both of them. But I suppose my brother Danny was living at home at that stage. And he had one of these uh, big, uh, what you call it, Joe, Joe, the players that you put them on. The vinyl players, right? And I, I could only I could only listen to it when he was gone to work because I wasn't allowed into his room. And I remember being there. This was just the best thing ever, like listening to Christy Moore singing The Voyage and actually being in a place that you weren't supposed to be at, at that very early age as well. So, but it, but like that, would, we played it over and over and over again. Let's hear a little bit of it, song. I am a sailor. And you're my first mate We signed on together We coupled their fate Hauled 
cracking song Matt I love it I just love Christy singing it I love the words of the song uh, I like the air of the song and it just brings me to a really really happy place Let's talk about Guns and Roses next <laughs> A happy place as well Because we asked you for favourite album favourite yeah. artist favourite concert and every answer you gave us <laughs> Guns and Roses Do you know what I, I suppose like uh, I suppose Appetite for Destruction came out in and around 1985 or 6 and I'd have come across it maybe probably 87 or 88 or 89 that time. So I was 13, 13 and 14. And it's a time where it was just so raw. It was just so in your face. It was just really, I think, what I wanted at that at that stage. And it was a complete contrast to uh, the beauty of West Kerry, the beauty <laughs> of the culture in West Kerry, the beauty of Shano's dancing, Shano's singing and, and trad music. And it was just a total opposite to that. And I was really, really attracted to it. And uh, I thought Axel Rose was just this really great performer. Uh, again, like there was no... Uh, things on YouTube or anything that time, like it was, it was physical tapes being handed to you, and uh, you'd watch it and you'd keep it and you'd say, oh, "I'll give that back to you on Monday," and you'd give it back to him on Wednesday because you'd be trying to hold These on to the it. These are the VHS tapes. These are the VHS tapes, and and like putting up posts, I posted the Guns and Roses all around my bedroom, even up on the up on the ceiling, and everything. I, I was, I was just, I just loved them. But like my my, my main man then was Slash. I was just totally obsessed with Slash altogether. Wanted to live the lifestyle, did you? I, I, well, I, I suppose when, when you're 13 or 14, you may think that's a kind of a, a fun lifestyle. And then you read his book and you read, oh my God. <laughs> it, was, it was the complete opposite altogether. But it was just the music and the rawness like, of that first album, Appetite for Destruction. Let's hear a little bit of Paradise City.
the air guitar didn't come out, but the I'm head started banging I'm away slightly. I'm 16 again, Matt. I'm 16 <laughs> again. But it, it's just, I, I just think, I love the beat of it. I love the, just about, just the whole rock and roll of, of, of Guns N' Roses at the time. And did you ever get to see them live? Got to see them live in 1992. I was, I was born in 76. <laughs> so I was 15. And myself and a friend of mine from uh, school in Dingle, Shane Whelan, we, like, I used to work in a meat counter in, in Garvey's in Dingle those weekends, right, when I was in secondary school. And I saved up the money to buy the ticket. I think the ticket was something like £27.50 plus booking fees, which was around £30, which was a fortune at the time, you know. Yeah. And then you had to, 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 to get the bus into Tralee and the train from Tralee to Dublin. And then uh, we met friends of his who were in boarding school and one, like, one girl had a farm, uh, close to Slane, and we all slept inside in the hay shed, and there was every kind of thing going on inside in the hay shed. Anyway, <laughs> there, it was very, the, the weather was beautiful during the day, which meant it was very, very cold at night. And these two, anyway, were having a good time. We were all outside freezing. I said, "Jesus, will, 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 will they ever hurry up inside there?" Right? <laughs> the man thought he was the rocket queen inside the, <laughs> inside inside in the van. I said, "Come on, no lads." So anyway, they, they they finished what they were doing. Anyway, so we all got to go to sleep inside the hay shed. And again, sure, like. There may have been a, a bottle of cider drink, but like we wouldn't have the money for it that time, Jerry. You yeah. might have had one flag and a cider for the whole weekend, and 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 we had to make it last. And the concert itself, the concert itself was unbelievable. There was um, a band called My Little Funhouse from Kilkenny that signed with Geffen at the time as well, who Guns and Roses were with, and rumours were going around that these were the next big thing. So, thing, so we made sure we were in for that. And then Faith No More played after that. Oh, they were great. Bands. They were absolutely fantastic. And then, like it was probably the all I can remember that day about the weather that there was in the cloud in the sky. It was roasting and then Guns N' Roses came out with Night Train and it just the start of that and then they sang through the whole thing we danced through the whole thing it was, it was just one of those one of those times in my life where, where I look back and because uh, I, I often kind of go on YouTube to see if anyone else has put up clips and actually I went on there last week and there's only one clip which was an RTE news item and there's no, there was no footage there. Yeah, because we actually couldn't yeah. find a decent clip of Guns N' yeah. Roses. We actually do have a bit of them live, just so people yeah. can. From of all places, Chicago, Chicago, doing "Sweet Child of Mine." Lovely. <laughs> Shea is now yeah. miming to Guns yeah. N' Roses. I sang that actually one night 
I was on a show called Charity Eurostar around 20 years ago and the first sang, song I sang was Sweet Child of Mine. Now it was a mixture of Guns N' Roses, The Saw Doctors <laughs> and uh, Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, s- s- singing Sweet Child. Could have I- got it again. No. <laughs> As one fellow told me, one it, and that within 14 pints of it. <laughs> so tell me, what music do you listen to now, though? Because you do a lot of driving, because yeah. particularly because you live in Galway, but the Today mm-hmm. Show is done daily down in Cork and you commute. So what sort of music do you listen to when you're in the car? Uh, it could be anything from Andrea Bocelli, Axel Rose, Bon Scott, Seamus Begley, uh, it can be anything, just a cross section. Geez, that's an eclectic it, mix. Yeah, and you know that, that's what I like about because there's some days I want I, I get up and I just want to hear Bon Scott or Axl Rose, and another day I just want to hear Seamus Begley. There's a day that I want to hear uh, Martin Hayes all day long, and the next day I don't want to listen to Martin Hayes today. I want to listen to someone else, and that's just I've always been like that for some reason. Martin Hayes has done the Culture Club for us as well. Yeah. Dahi O'Shea is our guest today. We'll get off the music. We'll get to lots of things with Dahi when we come back after this break. Welcome back. Dahi O'Shea is with us. You know him from the last 12, 13 years as host of the Today Show on RTE from the same time period as host of the Rose of Tralee as well. And the festival, of course, is coming up starting this Friday. And the live TV Rose selection is on the 21st and 22nd, which is Monday and Tuesday. Monday and week, Tuesday. So next yeah. week. Do you still look forward to it? Always look forward to it, Matt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it comes around faster every year for some reason. And like we missed it for You're two getting older. Getting a small <laughs> bit older and a small bit slower. But we missed it for two years because of, of COVID. Yeah. And like lots of things changed after COVID and we were thinking, okay, hang on a second, you know, will, will, will this still go like, as in what, what's, what's going to happen with this? So we came back last year hoping that it would all go well and everything with people out in the streets and people watching the TV shows and thankfully it was bigger and better again last year. Like I think uh, when the Rose was crowned last year, there was a 63% share of people watching which is huge. And then there was a big female audience as well on the Tuesday night. I think people between 15 and 55, there was a 70% share. So this is all very, very positive. So we're bringing all that with us uh, forward. But I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy meeting them. For me, one of the things, I meet them the first day and they're all very, very quiet. And then you see what goes on stage then and they've really evolved in the, in the two weeks that they have come together. And like the job we have this weekend, Nomad, is putting a few crazy party pieces together as well. That's when we kind of find out things about them and we say look can we put can we turn this into a party piece and that's always a good bit of fun as well but the live shows that, that's where it is the live the live track with 2,000 people inside in the dome I have to ask you because you're looking really really well for it you did a podcast last year with Mario yes. and I remember being alien to myself in the car laughing our heads off at it because you made your revelations about the fat suit the fat suit yeah did you wear it this year I didn't wear the fat suit this year uh, I only wore the fat suit once because like I should have read the instructions, Matt, if, if I'm being very, very Explain honest. Explain what the fat the, the suit fat is. The fat suit really is, is, um, is a wetsuit that you wear when you're walking or running, right? So basically, it's all, all the heat stays in and you start sweating. So the first time I went out with this thing, anyway, I, I'd say I got to the gate and there was, I said, Jesus, there's sweat going down into my socks. And she said, this is great altogether, right? So I booted off down the road. I said, Jesus, I started feeling a bit hot, like, you know, and then I started really hot. So I got back on the scale, anyway, I was down about three pounds. So I said, geez, that's all right, the fair play, a good start to, good start to the race. I hope you're rehydrating this during was, all this This right? was the problem, like, so I woke up the following morning, I could only open one, I said, geez, my eyes are glued together, what's wrong with me? So I was totally dehydrated altogether, didn't, didn't drink any water, which was a very, very dangerous thing to do. So I wore it a few times, but I did take a lot of water on board as well when I was doing it. So I kind of said, the fat suit, no, I shouldn't really be doing that because it's not really that good for me. So... Like I've often, prob- like I said, I'm always great this time of year. I'm, I'm, this is my, this is my good fighting weight. But like, 
when you're in the car then for the length of the Today Show and April and May, I get lazy and tired and you're, you're pulling in for diesel and all of a sudden you're taking uh, cream declares with you and ration sausage uh, baguettes at 10 o'clock in the morning after having the breakfast before you left the house, you know. So I decided I'm not doing that this year now. I said, no, I said, I'm not. So I, I, I kept it up all year long. I lost two stone after Christmas. I found one of them back <laughs> and I lost half one again. So I'm, if I can if I can stay at this weight, I'd be delighted. You're in good shape. So, so you managed to keep the same tucks from year to year. Yeah, I, I put one on this morning and it was the one that went on me four years ago. No, I, I wouldn't put on the one that I wore the first year, <laughs> but if I went back four or five years ago, I, 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 I'd get into that one all right. Like, yeah. And uh, But no, it, and it's, it's a good yardstick as well. But like I see, I don't do anything for Lent and I don't do anything for the new year. The, the Rose of Tralees, when I, I, would, I haven't drank now in a few weeks, like, and I, I start going to the gym. But then like, I start feeling great and I'm thinking why don't I do this all the time but then I miss the crack going out and having a few pints so I still, I'm still trying to get that proper balance of having a few pints and uh, staying fighting fit at the same time Let's move back to your yeah. culture club choices you have gone for I think is definitely the most popular movie in this spot you have also gone like many others for the Shawshank Redemption why so? Do you know again it's, uh, it's the end of the movie that always catches me I probably saw the movie maybe uh, the last for the last time maybe around two months ago and still when the two guys meet each other on the beach even still after 20 something years probably almost 30 years now right it still catches me as in the two lads are back together and it's I suppose it's, it's the underdog uh, getting the one up on the big guys at the end like we all but there are certain scenes that come on I can't watch them I'll actually go out and put on a cup of tea and come back in I don't want to watch them and it's just even like say when it starts turning for him when they're on top when they're putting the when they're putting the tar on the roof of the of the building and he tells the the screw or whatever they're called the guy in prison say look you don't have to do that you can give it you can give this to your wife as a present and then all of a sudden everything changes for Andy Dufresne and, and then it's just his journey as well then I suppose but sorry there are moments you can't watch yeah, do, you know, do you know those scenes where bad things happen to Andy Dufresne I, I, I just can't watch them so you go out and make a cup I of tea I go out and make a cup of tea I know when they're coming especially when he's down doing the laundry and I say oh jeez I can't watch this I have, to, I have to go out and I'll come back in again uh, for, for the parts like, and it's, it's uh, Morgan Freeman's voiceover it's Morgan Freeman then kind of following him down to Bucks County getting the getting the uh, tin box under the tree and looking around what's going on here like say and then there's a there's a point where he's inside in the room where Brooks was before where Brooks carved out his name and Brooks came to a very sad end there and you think oh my god Morgan Freeman's going to do the same thing then you realise he's not he's going to go after Andy Dufresne and uh, and it's just that meeting of the two of them on the beach it still catches me it's just like I said there's no words or anything the camera's pulling away the two guys meet each other on the beach Andy Dufresne is doing up an old boat and they embrace and it's just that moment going Damn, that's not the scene we have, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you built it up so well, and we have a different scene that we've got. <laughs> okay, uh, this Hang scene. Hang on, there's another scene I loved off. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is where some of the prisoners at Shawshank <sighs> discuss the fact that Andy Dufresne has become a tax advisor to I some love of the prison officers. This is my second favourite scene. <laughs> and then Andy says it, Mr. Deacon. You want your sons to go to Harvard or Yale? He didn't say that. God is my witness. Deacon just blinked for a second. Then he laughed himself silly, and afterwards he actually shook Andy's hand. My ass. Shook his hand. I near soiled myself. All Andy needed was a suit and a tie and a little jiggly hula gal on his desk. He would have been Mr. Dufresne, if you please. Making a few friends, huh, Andy? I wouldn't say friends. 
I'm a convicted murderer who provides sound financial planning. It's a wonderful pet to have. The following April, Andy did tax returns for half the guards at Shawshank. The year after that, he did them all, including the wardens. The year after that, they rescheduled the start of the intramural season to coincide with tax season. The guards on the opposing teams all remembered to bring their W-2s. So, Moresby Prison issued you your gun, but you actually had to pay for it. Damn right, the holster too. See, that's tax deductible. You can write that off. Yes, sir. Andy was a regular cottage industry. In fact, it got so busy at tax time, he was allowed a staff. Hey, Rick, can you hand me a stack of 1040s? Got me out of the wood shop a month out of the year, and that was fine by me. So that's one of the pieces you did watch I, I regularly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for another break. So when we come back, I'll be asking Dahi O'Shea about his favourite plays, books and TV shows. And we're back. We're joined for this week's Culture Club by the Rosetree host, Dahi O'Shea. So Dahi, move to your favourite play. Tell us about it, please. Favourite play is Juno and the Peacock by Sean O'Casey. It was, this, it was one of those things I've I actually, one of my fond memories of secondary school, a place that I didn't really want to be for a whole lot of time, even though I'm back to become a teacher for a small while in, which doesn't make any sense at all. But, and again, it, like say, English was a thing, I suppose, that we'd have, uh, that I'd have struggled with in one sense that, see, I suppose we, we were brought up in English and Irish and there was, we went to, the school was all in Irish and everything. But for some reason, like say with the plays and poetry and everything, I just wasn't doing well at all in it. And so me, I, I had to get a C in pass to get into college and that was it. And uh, we had this teacher then that, that I got on well with and that was the play we did for the for the Leaving Cert, June on the Paycock by Sean O'Casey. And he was so good and so animated at doing the characters that it just just the play came to life in front of me. And then after I, I went to see it a few times in, in the Abbey and I was just blown away by the story. Like I say, I have, a, I have a huge interest in history as well and that's all in there as well and the social history of Dublin at the time as well. And it's just just the characters that were created uh, and like I say, Juno and then the Peacock himself and then of course Joxer was a big huge uh, a character in there as well. And do you remember Huey from Fair City actually played Joxer? And uh, this was oh, this is a good 15 years ago now. And I said, oh, geez, he's too young now to be playing Joxer. But man, he came out as Joxer. Everything I thought Joxer would look like, he looked as Joxer. And uh, so that's the play that uh, I'd go to see every week if I could. Let's have a scene from it. Oh, here you are at last, Captain Boyle. I've been searching for you everywhere. The foreman in Foley's told me you hadn't left the snug with Joxer ten minutes before I went in. Oh, and he's swearing on the holy prayer book that he wasn't in no snug. What business is it of yours whether I was in a snug or no, Jerry Devine? What do you want to be galloping about after me for? Is a man not to be allowed to leave his house for a minute without having a pack of spies, pimps and informers cantering at his heels? Oh, you're taking a wrong view of it, Mr. Boyle, I simply was anxious to do you a good turn. I have a message for you from Father Farrell. He says that if you go to the job that's on in Rathmines and ask for Foreman Manigan, you'll get a start. Well, that's all right, but I don't want the motions of me body to be watched the way an astronomer would watch a star. If you're following me daughter Mary yourself, you've no prerogative to be following me. Oh! 
Oh, I'm after getting a terrible twinge in my right leg. Oh, it won't be very long now till it travels into his left one. What's miraculous is whenever he sends a job in front of him, his legs begin to fail him. Then, me buckle, if you lose this chance, you may go and forage for yourself. <laughs> Poor old Captain Boyle never went to work, I'd say. Let's move to television. Yeah. And you actually, you, a lot of people have gone for match of the day as their mm-hmm. childhood favourite. You've gone, though, as a good West Kerry man for the Sunday game. The Sunday game. See, we had RT1 and Network 2 at the time. That was it. Yeah, no, we were the same. Yeah, up we, court, we didn't yeah. have any other uh, any other channels. And I remember saying to my young fella, he was asking me, did, did we have a remote control when we were young? I said, boss, I was the remote control. <laughs> <laughs> Ordered by my father to go over to switch between one and two. But uh, yeah, the Sunday game, it was just, it, it was like, it was a time. Because those were the days there were very few live matches available to see. Well, I suppose you, you, you had the provincial finals, the semi-finals yeah. and the finals, and maybe one or two other matches and that was it. So it was the only time really you got a flavour of what was happening. But like say, when we were growing up, like say... Uh, Kerry were like say came back in 84, 85 and 86 Ambrose Edwin and Potty Shea and, uh, and Tommy Doyle were the captains so like I was 8, 9 and 10 at that time and you were rushing home to see the, the Sunday game the music Michael Lester was only a young fella at the time and it was a place that you were always at home for that but you were also allowed to stay up because we were sent to bed at 9 o'clock but when the Sunday game was on and it was just the music like the music would start and all of a sudden your heart would jump up in the air Let's hear the music last orchestra the most famous yeah. ever German league in Ireland that's right <laughs> and it's, it's strange like we won't hear it now because we were used to hearing it into the, the third Sunday in September and you, you know you'd really miss it now oh, really, August really and September are not the same are no, they c- certainly not and look I, like, you're chatting to the players the players seem to like it so I, I don't know what'll happen I'd like if it kind of went maybe maybe give us an extra two weeks maybe but there was always something special about being inside Crow Park on the third Sunday in September when it was a little bit of darkness coming in around six or half six in the evening because it was really back to school then I know Frasier is another one of your favourites that you still like watching yeah. do you know with, with all the stuff that, that's going on and like say rolling news all day long and there just seems to be all this kind of negative stuff coming where after two years of Covid and everything Frasier and say the King of Queens and sitcoms like that were just a, a happy place for me to go to all, all the time uh, where I still watch them and I still laugh and and do you know what? I think I'm going to just, I watched them on rotation. I kind of, I'd watch Frasier for a while. I'd watch the whole lot of them and then watch the King of Queens and then go back over them. So it takes the whole year. So by the time I've come around again, I've forgotten them all over again. <laughs> we've a little bit of uh, series one of Frasier. Hello, I don't believe we've met. Oh, yes, we have, Niles, three or four times. Roz Doyle. Oh, of course. It was at the, uh, it was during the, uh, Oh, well, I'm far too successful to feel awkward. Where did we meet? The radio station. I'll take your word for it. Nice to see you again. Apparently, Mr. Mann heard your program yesterday. So I see. <laughs> yesterday afternoon, Dr. Fraser Crane got on my case for not giving him a point-by-point criticism of his radio show. Well, he asked for it, so here goes. Oh, my God. His entire column is about your show. Not very flattering, either. Toward the end, he even attacks your dim-witted sidekick call screener. That's me. Oh, now I remember you. 
hard to say what to hate most about Crane's show. His pompous, sanctimonious style, his constant self-congratulatory references to his own life, or his voice, a mock sympathetic tone, so sickly sweet, one wonders if the man graduated from medical school or from some mind-controlling cult. It's continued on 12. I've read enough. Um, okay, listen, we're running low on time. You have a great book that you selected as your favourite. It was ghosted by Vincent Hogan. You've picked Paul McGrath's book, Back from the Brink, which was one of the best book, best sports books of recent decades. Yeah, to be honest, I wouldn't be the biggest soccer fan. I don't follow any uh, soccer teams across the water or anything. Uh, my young fella came home a few uh, months ago and he said he wanted to support Liverpool. I said, I said, that's fine, but you have to support your own team first. You have to support Galway United. If you support Galway United, you can support Liverpool. And to be fair to me, he's a nine-year-old and he got it. Okay, good. He got He said, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. So we're going to the Galway United games. So now he's changed from Liverpool to Manchester City to Manchester United to Paris Saint-Germain and he's in, he's enjoying them all. But he's sticking with Galway United, He's sticking it? with Galway United. But like, I suppose I grew up, like I was 14 for Italian 90 and like say, I'd have... Uh, always followed the likes of Paul McGrath say the Irish players I was always very yeah. very, very interested like Roy Keane Frank Stapleton Kevin Moore as well a GA player going off to play for Man United this is unbelievable stuff so we were always following Paul McGrath and then I read his book and I was, I was just blown away by it I didn't know what to expect I wouldn't have heard half the stories that came out in the book like the day he was walking past Old Trafford and he was he was out walking around and he, like say he said 10 years before he'd have been inside that he was the king inside there I know he was walking past the gates of Old Trafford, no one inside there, walking the streets on his own. And just to get an insight into the man that we looked up so much to, and we still do, but not realising what he was going through at the time. And all the big games he played, and like he was always the big man back there. And I'll forget, I'll never forget, I was down the road here in uh, the Gated Theatre, uh, actually at the Bull McCabe, watching uh, the field. And next, Rita was only over about, she was, she'd only moved over on six months at that stage. Like, she's your wife. It's my wife, yeah. So, next, they all, they're, they're, they, she grew up in an Irish American household. She knew all about the soccer teams and everything. And next second, I said, geez, that Paul McGrath's coming over. Paul McGrath's coming over. And Paul McGrath put out his hand and said, Doy, how are you? And I said, huh? <laughs> I kind of, I froze, like, I said, Jesus, it's Paul McGrath, like, you know? And, like, I, I was just totally blown away by him. Like, he, he's, like he's just such, he's just such a, a character and he's just such a nice, beautiful, humble man. And again, just to read, just to read his book, I was just glued to it and everything he went through. And as I was reading it, I was going back through all those matches and everything, saying Italian 90, yeah. you know, 94 in America, uh, playing the big games in, uh, with Manchester United and all this. You go, wow, what, what a guy, like, you know? So that book has really stood out. I mean, like, I read that book, must have been. 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. We've one last thing which we'll play out on. Yeah. We ask for a buried treasure and you've mentioned Seamus Begley a number of times and you've picked out for us him singing The Early Morning Rain. Yeah. This was, this was a song, like say, I'd, we'd have all been used to Seamus singing Irish songs, Shano songs and folk songs, say, in Irish. But this was the first time I really heard him singing a song in English and then you're thinking, geez, this is really, really nice. And it just showed me that he could sing anything. He could, like, say, if, if, if you mentioned a word to Seamus about the television, he'd sing 10 songs of the word television inside. And he just wanted these memories uh, of songs that I don't know how he got his head around all this, but he started singing In the Early Morning Rain. He came out in an album with Jim Murray, I think, 2001. And it was just, just it was like, say, people would remember Gordon Lightfoot. 
yeah, who wrote died recently. Who yeah. Died a few months ago, and uh, he he like he had a he, he just had a kind of a country trying to, but Seamus kind of West Kerryized it in a way that only Seamus Begley could. And then him and Jim Murray together, and this was I suppose his next big album after being been playing with Coney, Seamus uh, with Steve Coney uh, a good few years before it. And this track was on it, and you said, "Oh my God!" It it, it just blew me away. I just thought it was brilliant altogether. Just Seamus singing and the music, and just the, the scene he set while he was singing the song. Well, would you know that this album apparently is no longer available to buy, download or stream. We managed to find the version of YouTube of him singing The Early Morning Rain with Jim Murray on guitar from 2001. We play out in it. Yeah. Dahi O'Shea, it has been fantastic having you. For a Thank you so much. Enjoy the Rose of <laughs> Festival. I think you always do and Certainly. you will. And we know Captain Thomas will be alongside you this year as well, next Monday and Tuesday night. And uh, we look forward to seeing you for many years at it. Thank you, Matt. Dahi O'Shea, thank you. Thank you to the entire production team. We're going to play out with Seamus Begley singing The Early Morning Rain. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.